Oh, that was fun. <laughs> hey, so welcome to week number three of our series called Grace is Greater. And uh, as you can see, a lot of times it's just in the everyday conversations where grace is really put to the test between you and, a, and your children or the neighbor friend. And I love the moment where like, you can see the conversation teetering. Like, is it going to be all right, or is it going to go crashing into bitterness and anger and griping and complaining and all of that? In week number one, we said that grace is greater than misunderstandings. Week number two, grace is greater than our mistakes. And today, it's this, grace is greater than our hurts. And when we have hurts, specifically when we are hurt by other people, can grace be greater than that? Before I move on, I want to just pause and just say a word of caution here, okay? Um, there are times when uh, you exhibit grace, but you still put boundaries between you and people who might be hurting you, okay? So don't hear me saying something different than that. Uh, there are times that you need to find help, and you need someone to help you, and you need to have these boundaries so that you're not giving permission for someone to hurt you or your family. So I'm not going to be... Uh, uh, saying that later on. So I just wanted you to hear me say that at the, very, at the very top. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 18, and let me tell you a little bit of the context here of this chapter. If you were to go up just a couple paragraphs from where we're going to start today, you would uh, find Jesus telling the disciples, hey, if someone has hurt you, then go to them and, and tell them, hey, you offended me. You sinned against me, and you try to work it out with them. And, and then if, if that doesn't work, you bring another person with you. And, and Jesus kind of gives us this pattern for how to address hurts within the church. And we ought to take that really seriously because Jesus doesn't want us to live a lifetime with these hurts, always boiling and bubbling up inside of us. And so we get to Matthew 18, and Peter asks this question, it's a big question, and he even tries to take a guess on the safe side of things, but well, you'll see what I mean. Let's begin in verse 21 of Matthew 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations actually say seven times 70. It's Kind of hard to get the grammar there. In other words, a whole lot of times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, 
they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, the wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Okay, Jesus has done it again. He's told us a parable that is timeless, that has great application, that kind of rocks our whole world. So a man owes 10,000 bags of gold. To the Roman, 10,000 was as high as the numbering system went in their vocabulary. In other words, Jesus is saying, a guy, old, he owed like a billion, trillion, uh, uh, as many as you can imagine, bags of gold. Now, how do you get to where you owe someone 10,000 bags of gold? You start by borrowing one bag of gold, and you can't pay it back, right? And then another, and then another, and then maybe life comes and throws you a curveball, and you get sick, and a relative passes away, and you maybe get a little greedy, and you want something. And lots of things could happen. The story doesn't really tell us that, and it doesn't really matter. But he owes an insurmountable amount of money. And the the master says, you have to pay. And if you have to pay, that means your wife and your children will be sold into slavery to help pay this back. We're not talking just financial. We're talking he will lose everything he loves And so he does what anybody would do. He falls on his knees and he begs, you know, please forgive me. Please have mercy on me. And the master does. He says, okay, I will show you grace. So this man isn't exactly overwhelmed with grace when he leaves. He goes off and he immediately finds somebody who owes him a hundred silver coins, a hundred bucks compared to the billion who owes him this very small amount. And it says he began choking him. He grabs him. Pay back what you owed. And the, and the guy does what he had done. He falls on his knees. Please have mercy on me. Give me some time. I'll pay it back. I'm working on it. And he says, forget it. And he throws him in jail. And the master finds out about it. And he comes and he throws this man in jail that says to be tortured until he can pay it back. That's going to be a long time until he can pay back 10,000 bags of gold. There's so much happening in this parable. But I got to ask you this. Who's who? We just have to ask who's who in the parable. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we always think we are the people who have committed the least amount of offense. We're always the person who, always, who only owes 100. We're the person only with the speck, not the plank in our eye. We kind of always put ourselves there. But that's not who we are in this parable. In this parable, we are the person who owes God 10,000 bags of gold. We owe him our life, our families, our friends, our homes, everything we've got. We owe him our eternities. We owe him more than we can ever repay. That's who you are in the parable. That's who I am in this parable. We owe him everything. And so the parable then takes the turn and says, how do you treat other people? Because Whatever someone has done to you compared to what you have done to God is a hundred silver coins 
it's a hundred bucks. And again, I'm saying here, people may have done terrible things to you. I'm not saying that they have not. People may have done rotten, awful things. It doesn't compare to what you've done to God. You are the person who owes the hundred bags of gold every time. And so the question then is, what will you do? What will your reaction be? By the way, did you notice what happened to not the first servant, but the second servant that gets thrown into prison initially? Does he get rescued in all of this? Mm-mm. When you don't treat people with grace, their eternities are at stake. When you don't treat people with grace, we don't know that someone else is going to come along and treat them with grace. That doesn't happen in this parable. I mean, I mean the, the parable serves its purpose. We can't try to predict everything that happens in the future. It serves its purpose. But what this man did to this other man seemed to be a bad thing for his future. And then God comes and says, I won't have it. Because I sacrificed my son on the cross, you must show grace to your neighbor, to your friend, to your enemy, to your adversary, to the person who wounded you, to the person who hurt you. You have to have an attitude of grace. Ephesians 4.31 says, to get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and malice. It's interesting that it uses all these different words that kind of mean about the same thing. I think Paul is trying to get his point across of like, don't skip around this and say one of those emotions is okay. Yes, Jesus created you to have the emotion of anger. But then he turns around and says, don't stay with it. Don't keep it. Get rid of it. I think sometimes we have a little bit of a complex that we're allowed to stay angry for the rest of our lives because someone did something so bad. Or someone is so awful. But the Bible over and over says you got to get rid of that stuff. We're going to be diving into the Sermon on the Mount in January. And Jesus is pretty clear you got to get rid of that stuff. Anger will destroy you. Hebrews 12 says, See to it that no one misses out on the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up. In Jesus' day, a poisonous plant was sometimes identified as a bitter plant, a bitter root. So if you ate a bitter root, it wasn't just that the taste was off, it could kill you. The point is clear. When we don't show grace to someone, it's toxic. It's toxic for you, and it's toxic for the other person. You show me someone who doesn't practice grace, who doesn't show grace, and I'll show you a toxic person. Grace is the absence of bitterness. It's undeserved kindness. So the question is, If you don't give grace, have you really received it? Do you really understand it? Does the full acceptance of grace transform you into being a grace-filled person or not? As a six-year-old first grader in New Orleans, 1960, Ruby Bridges became the first black student to attend an all-white elementary school in the South. And you may know that U.S. Marshals had to escort her to school every day because there were mobs of angry people yelling and protesting and cursing at her every day, this little girl. And her teacher would watch her in amazement as she would make this walk. And one day she asked Ruby, she said, Ruby, I saw you talking to the people who were cursing you and yelling you. What were you saying? 
And Ruby said this, I wasn't talking, I was praying. I was praying for them. I like that she actually identified what she was praying about. She wasn't even just praying. She was praying for them. Does that remind you of anybody who was being persecuted and he prayed for them? Jesus on the cross. See, when grace comes over us and washes over us and through us, we begin to look a little more like Jesus, even in the most difficult of situations. We've defined here at Highland Park the soul as being the whole person. So when an airplane goes down and they say 300 souls perished, they're not just talking about something physical. They're saying the, the whole person as a whole. And we've defined soul as being uh, the spirit and the mind and the body and also the social fabric uh, uh, relationships. Because if your friendship isn't good with someone, your best friend, and somebody says, how are you? How's your soul? You'll say, well, it's not so great because that's part of who you are. So all of those things together make up your soul. That's how the Bible sees that. It's really holistic, this idea of soul. So with that idea of the soul is your whole person, your emotion, your intellect, your, your physical body, it's all of those things, then what does it mean to show grace to someone else's soul? That's what I was thinking about. I think what it means is that you show grace to them even if they have something physical about them that bothers you. If there's something to the senses that you don't like about them, you have to show grace. If there's something emotionally that you don't like, you still approach them with an attitude of grace. If there's something about their social network, their family, their friends you don't like, you come with an attitude of grace because we are to show grace to the soul, to the whole person. It doesn't mean that we, can hold, we can't hold someone accountable or have a difficult situation with somebody out of line. I'm not saying that, but we always come with an attitude of grace. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, if you don't forgive fellow men, your brothers, your sisters, their sins, your heavenly Father doesn't forgive you your sins. Boy, is that a sobering passage. It's incredible to think about. You may not forget the hurt, by the way. You know if you've been hurt by someone, it's a bit of a lie to say, oh, yeah, forgive and forget. Cliches aren't helpful when you've been hurt. But you do know that you can wake up with a choice every morning of will I live with an attitude of grace and forgiveness? Will I be praying for that person today? Will I have to maybe forgive them again tomorrow when I wake up a little angry again? Yes, I may have to do that. But I will forgive them over and over and over and over when Jesus responded, you forgive somebody seven times 70 or 77 times, and that translation is a little difficult to figure out, the number doesn't matter. What matters is Jesus saying, you just keep on forgiving them. Think of a really big number, forgive them more than that. It's a bit of a reference to Lamech in Genesis who says, if anybody has wronged me, I'll wrong them 77 more times. I'm coming after them. That's what Lamech said, and Jesus says the opposite, that no, no, you just forgive people. You don't seek revenge over and over. That's not the heart of the grace-filled person. There's a man named Balaam who spoke on God's behalf in Numbers 23. It's a remarkable passage, and we don't have time to dig into all of it. But there is a person, a leader, who wants Balaam to curse God's people. 
And he keeps trying to get Balaam to curse God's people and, and like prophesy against them and curse them and bring down bad things upon them. And Balaam keeps saying, well, I'm going to listen to God on this one. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to listen to God on this one. He keeps praying, like, God, do you want me to curse these people? Well, can you guess what God said? God was saying, no, of course not. I don't want you to bless, I don't want you to curse these people. Instead, bless them. In fact, here's what Balaam said. He said, how can I curse those whom the Lord has not denounced? So, in your life, whom has the Lord denounced? Whom has the Lord said, I want nothing to do with them ever again? The answer is nobody. That God cares for every soul. And God may say, yes, this person has sinned against me and turned away from me, but is God not still standing there praying that they will repent and hoping that they will repent and turn back to him? Absolutely. As John Wee said, there's more grace in God than there is sin in people. So we believe God's grace is greater. And I'm convinced that there's more people walking through your life than you'll ever know who are carrying deep hurts inside them. Just begin to talk to people. Uh, I was um, surprised again at the Fall Fun Fest Halloween event we had a couple weeks ago, how several people I did not know, they didn't, and they did not know me other than a five-minute conversation we had. And in that five-minute conversation, how many people shared some deep hurts and wounds? And I imagine if I had spent an hour or days or years with them, I would have found out a lot more about some of the hurts and wounds they have. So I think you should approach relationships as if people are carrying major wounds and major hurts already. Come, come at it with an attitude of grace. When Yukio Shige sees lost people, he sees people who need to be saved. There was a Time Magazine article about the cliffs in, called the Tonjiba or the Tojimbo Cliffs in Japan. And the cliffs are famous not only for their beauty, but because lonely people go there to commit suicide almost daily, if not weekly. And, and, and people go there, and that's the place. And so this man, Yukio, stands there with his binoculars, scouring the cliffs, looking for people. He goes there almost every day of his life. And he looks for people, and he can tell when people are in this place because they don't have their binoculars, they don't have a souvenir bag. He says they're looking at the ground. And if he sees somebody like that, he, he tries to get to them quickly, and he finds them, and, and he begins to ask them, you know, tell me about yourself. And he asks them permission if he can place his hand on their shoulder while they talk. And he says the moment he does that, they often begin weeping, and they begin talking. And he has an opportunity to save them that day. What he said is this, I want, to, I want Tojimbo to be the most challenging place, not where life ends, but where life begins. And when you give grace to someone, it might be the very place where instead of their life ending, their life begins. It might help them begin again in multiple ways in life. But when God came to us and showed us grace, we were at a place where our life should have ended. We had no future, and yet instead God says, let your life begin. We've been telling you about this pottery called kintsugi, 
which is the method of repairing pottery that's been broken and fractured and bringing it, piecing it back together in a new way with different pieces together that will make it more beautiful than it ever was. And what I have not told you yet is a little bit about the emotions and the feelings behind how this began. Because there's two words the Japanese use to talk about this repair method and the feelings behind it. And the first is mitanai. And that expresses regret when something is wasted. If you've ever been a part of Celebrate Recovery, you know that one of the things that is said a lot is that God never wastes a hurt. And if you have hurts in your life, I want you to know that God does not want them to be wasted. They're wasted when they drag us down and we never are healed and use them for good. But God uses those hurts. When you have a hurt in your life and God brings you grace and shows you healing and hope, then God will almost always find a way to, part, to connect you with somebody else who has that same hurt. And you will be able to show them more grace and love than anybody else could on this planet because you understand where they are. God doesn't want to waste a hurt. The second feeling behind this method of pottery is called mushin, and it is the acceptance of change. Something was good, and it shattered, and it was ugly and broken and seemed useless, but then the potter began to change it, to form it. And some of you here today feel broken and ugly and useless, and God is saying, would you accept change? I'm offering grace to you. Will you accept the change that I want to do in your heart, in your soul, in your friendships, in your family, to move past this brokenness and this feeling of being stuck or ugly, but to let God do what he wants to do inside of you? We did something last week, and we're going to do the same thing this week, where I believe that uh, these sermon topics are pretty heavy, and I want to give you a couple moments just to process and to pray and reflect. And uh, in your bulletin on the sermon page, there's a little place that just says, grace is greater than, and you might want to list out some of the hurts in your life that you need reminded of by God this morning that grace is greater than it. And I just encourage you to take a pen, there's some in the seats in front of you, and just to start writing those down. You're not going to give them to us, you don't need to give them to anybody else if you don't want to. But just spend some moments letting God remind you that grace is greater than some of your hurts, than any of your hurts.
Jesus concludes the passage saying, unless you forgive from your heart, unless you forgive from your heart. And I was thinking about just those words. What does it mean to really forgive from your heart, from that deep level inside? And I begin to think, well, how, how do we forgive if what do we do if we're not giving grace? Like we actually have the self-awareness to realize I'm not giving grace to other people. I'm always angry at them. I'm always bitter. I'm always talking bad about other people. I'm not showing grace. What do we do? We've had this picture of kind of the cycle of grace that we've talked about. And if you're not giving it, I begin to realize you just need to move any direction and that'll be good. If you're not giving it, maybe it's because you've never accepted it. Maybe because you, you think that because you don't forgive others that God must not forgive you. But that's not really understanding grace because God says, I will forgive you. And the cross is big enough to forgive you. And so maybe you need to move backwards in the cycle and just really focus on accepting God's grace. But I also want to toss this out here. You may just need to kind of buck up and forgive even if you don't really feel it emotionally, you say, I forgive. God, I forgive. I'm having trouble emotionally connecting to that, but I forgive. Because when you say it and when you give it, you'll have a whole new understanding of it. And when you understand it better, you accept it better. When you accept it better, you give it better. So we want to invite you to say, I forgive. Pete Wilson wrote, what you inhale is what you exhale. And so if you inhale bitterness, anger, and jealousy, it's what you're going to exhale. But if you inhale grace, you'll begin to exhale grace upon others. This morning, if you've never inhaled of God's grace, God says, I want all people to come to me. But the only way you come to me is through Jesus and his death on the cross is the grace for you and your sins and your eternity. And if you would like someone to pray with you about that, there'll be folks up here during this next song who'll be glad to talk to you and pray with you. If you would like to write on your card, you want to meet with someone this week and talk about grace, we'd love to do that. If you would, would you please stand and you can sing along, you can pray silently where you are, but let's just ask God for grace. God, for anybody who has not inhaled grace, the clue might be that they've never exhaled grace. And so we pray for all people here to inhale deeply of your grace today, which comes only through Jesus. Amen.